0: You're listening to DNA ID, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, Zodiac Speaking, Beyond Bizarre True Crime, Citizen Detective, and Campus Killings. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. On November 1st, 1991, some hunters were tromping through a farm field off a private farm lane south of Circleville, Pickaway County, Ohio, when they saw something that didn't look right. A human femur bone was sticking up out of the mud on the side of a drainage ditch. The hunters summoned the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office to the scene, and there, on the south side of the private farm lane that branched off from the north side of State Route 56 East, just west of State Route 159, the investigators found skeletonized human remains buried in the mud. There was no skull. Initial assumptions were that the remains were the remnants of an indigenous American. The area surrounding Circleville Township had been home to several Native American tribes, and Native American burial sites were plentiful in the area. But that didn't prove to be the case. The bones were collected for analysis by the coroner's office, which determined the following. Based on the diminutive size of the bones and the feminine bone structure, the remains belonged to a female with an estimated height of 5'1 to 5'4. She was likely around 25 years old. She had no clothing, objects, or any identifying items with her, and her fingerprints were non-existent, so her name was unknown. But that wasn't all. Her head, which was never found, had been removed from her body by a sharp object metal tooth and saw marks on the vertebrae of the neck indicated that someone had deliberately removed it with a toothed blade such as a saw. Although there was no way to determine the young woman's cause of death, the case was classified as a homicide. The original article I found about this homicide in the Dayton Daily News, dated November 24, 1991, read, quote, A young woman whose headless skeleton was found near a rural road in Pickaway County was a homicide victim, the sheriff said, unquote. Sheriff Dwight Radcliffe was perturbed by the finding of a murdered Jane Doe in his jurisdiction. He gave a media statement about the murder investigation saying, quote, We are all duty-bound, police officers and citizens alike, to determine this young woman's identity and the circumstances of her demise, end quote. However, no one from the public came forward with any information that could help identify Jane Doe. There were no missing persons reports from Pickaway County that corresponded to the victim either. Her remains were then sent to the Ohio State University anthropologist Paul Skewley, who examined them and drew some conclusions. The Jane Doe was between 16 to 30 years old. She was about 61 inches tall, or 1, and 110 pounds. Her head had been intentionally removed and her skull and all vertebrae above C5 were missing. Finally, she'd been in the ground for no more than three years, and in fact had likely died in 1990 or 1991. Pickaway Doe's remains made the rounds of various experts and agencies to try to identify her. According to the press release by the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office, over the decades collaborating agencies and individuals included the Pickaway County Coroner's Office, Dr. Michael Garren, and Dr. John Ellis, the Ohio State Department of Anthropology, Dr. Elizabeth Murray from Mount St. Joseph University, Michelle Yezo and Kristen Slaper from the BCI, Dr. Neil Haskell from Purdue University, the Analytical Genetic Testing Center, Cellmark Diagnostics Labs, and the FBI, whose lab did some testing on the bones. As we will see, the University of North Texas also had possession of the remains as the investigation and DNA technology progressed. Early on, Dr. Michael Guerin of the coroner's office put a lot of work into identifying Pickaway Doe. The Circleville Herald did a story on his determination to see the case through and the difficulties of identifying a woman without her head. When you're missing a skull, you're really missing a great part of how you can identify a person, Dr. Guerin told the publication. He sent the bones to various agencies in attempts to extract DNA, but the bones were small and brittle, and the attempts were unsuccessful. Even as far back as 2012, Dr. Guerin also spent a lot of time responding to inquiries from web sleuthers, trying to connect Pickaway doe to missing persons reports pertaining to missing young women who might fit the bill. Finally, a big break came when in 2011, Dr. Guerin's office sent their remains to the University of North Texas. That organization was able to extract some DNA from the bones and analyze it, seeking clues to the identity and heritage of the Jane Doe. And they found some clues, all right. A Y chromosome. Pickaway Jane Doe was not a Jane Doe at all. He was a John Doe. And furthermore, he had ancestry originating from the Indian subcontinent. The revelation was a massive shock to all involved. For 20 years, the investigators had been looking into the murder of a female victim. Dr. Guerin had even worked with Pickaway Lt. Dale Parrish to arrange for a forensic anthropologist in Cincinnati to review the bones. She also felt it was a young woman, based on very specific measurements of the bones, he said. At first, Dr. Guerin refused to believe that the DNA results were accurate. It came back as a male, Guerin told the Circleville Herald. After 20 years, we finally found out it was a male. We questioned it, and they did it all again and still found it was a male subject. It was back to square one to try to identify Pickaway John Doe. Dr. Guerin stepped down after seven terms as Pickaway County Coroner in 2012, but he continued to work for the coroner's office as a medical legal death investigator. He told the Herald that the only way that they would be able to identify Pickaway Jane Doe now would be through a hit in the National DNA Database, CODIS's repository of DNA pertaining to unidentified human remains. But... Dr. Guerin was wrong about that too. John Doe's DNA proved to be impossible to obtain, even after several attempts. His STR DNA profile was never entered into CODIS because it was unavailable. Testing on the remains halted, so as not to use up the remainder of the viable samples from the bones. In 2019, the coroner's office requested that the BCI reopen the unidentified human remains case and submit some of Pickaway John Doe's bones for analysis using modern DNA testing advancements. They wanted to see whether, given modern techniques, they might finally be able to obtain a suitable amount of DNA to advance the case. The BCI lab was able to obtain genetic material from a bone that typically doesn't yield much DNA, and they obtained a DNA sample with a low call rate. In 2021, Pickaway coroner Dr. John Ellis and Lieutenant, now Captain Jonathan Strausser, of the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office decided to pursue forensic genealogy. Pickaway County commissioners funded the necessary additional testing performed by Hudson Alpha and Sabre Investigations provided bioinformatics, which resulted in a SNP profile for Pickaway John Doe. The Sheriff's Office then contracted with Advanced DNA to do the forensic genealogy work. Amanda Reno, Director of Genetic and Forensic Case Management for Advanced DNA, uploaded John Doe's SNP profile into the Family Tree DNA and GEDmatch databases. The closest DNA relative in the databases shared 233 centimorgans with John Doe. It wasn't massive, but it wasn't nothing either. Quite a few other relatives who shared more than 100 centimorgans with John Doe were also in the database, but Ms. Reno could deduce pretty quickly, based on the amounts that these DNA relatives shared with one another, that there was a high degree of endogamy on the paternal side of John Doe's family line, which was deeply rooted in Virginia. But on the other side, the John Doe's maternal haplogroup was rooted in India, the country. He had about 8% Indian heritage, and one DNA relative, whom the genealogist could not connect to any of the other DNA relatives, had immediate ties to England. So now the genealogist knew that she needed to find a direct relative who had immediate roots in England, who had Indian heritage, and who had possibly recently immigrated to the U.S. And this direct relative had likely intermarried with someone from the endogamous Virginia branch. The tree building in this case involved 4,000 names and took nine months. Many relatives were concentrated in Virginia, but others were sprawled across Kentucky, Ohio, and even Canada. Ms. Reno told me that they were very lucky in that they located eight distant cousins, DNA relatives, who were very helpful and willing to assist the investigators in identifying a distant relative they had never heard of. Some of them agreed to upload their commercial DNA test results to other open source databases, so the genealogist could maximize her use of the tools, such as the matches-of-matches comparison on each of the databases. Others simply helped by looking up family records or relating family lore about ancestors and family tree information. One DNA relative reached out to her own relatives, whom she knew had tested, and asked them to upload their profiles. One man, who had never tested, agreed to provide a reference sample and did so using a family tree DNA kit. Another connected the investigators to relatives overseas, so they could make inquiries about the foreign ancestry of Pickaway John Doe. And yet another DNA relative from the Virginia branch even offered to let Ms. Reno view her 23andMe account. And that is where Ms. Reno stumbled upon an Ohio match, somewhere down the third page of extended relatives, who provided the missing link. His self-reported family tree information indicated that his paternal grandmother had been born in India to one Indian parent and one English parent. Record scratch. On November 1st, 2022, Ms. Reno found herself heading to a meeting to brief the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office investigators on her progress and her theory about who Pickaway John Doe was when she realized the significance of the date. It was 31 years to the day from the date back in 1991 when Pickaway John Doe's remains were found in the ditch outside Circleville, Ohio. At the briefing, Ms. Reno informed the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office investigators that she suspected that Pickaway John Doe was Robert Allen Mullins. She had been unable to find a proof of life for him since the late 1980s, when he was in his early 20s. After the meeting, Ms. Reno and Captain Strasser jumped in the car and went to visit the DNA relative of the distant cousin of Pickaway John Doe who had the 23andMe account. His name was Christopher, and sure enough. Christopher was very willing to speak with the investigators. Over lunch, he uploaded his 23andMe profile to GEDmatch, and the level of centimorgans he shared with Pickaway John Doe was consistent with an uncle-nephew relationship, and he told them he had an uncle who had gone missing in Ohio. The uncle's name was Robert Allen Mullins. Ms. Reno quickly determined that there had been six Mullins siblings born to Catherine Mildred Mullins, who was born in India, To one Indian parent and one English parent, and Warren Fred Mullins, whose family hailed from Virginia. Most of the six Mullins children had passed away, but one was unaccounted for since the late 1980s. His family resided in Ohio. That same afternoon on which they met with Christopher, the nephew, Ms. Reno and Captain Strausser went to the Ohio home of the last remaining sibling of Robert Mullins, his brother David. They told him what they were working on, David confirmed that his brother Robert had gone missing sometime in 1989. The investigators needed to confirm their relationship, but they couldn’t use a buckle swab for STR comparison because they didn’t have a usable STR profile for Pickaway John Doe. So David used a test from family tree DNA, and when kinship analysis results came back from gene by gene, they confirmed Ms. Reno’s hypothesis. David's results showed that he shared DNA with PickAway John Doe, consistent with a full sibling. You guys, I'm super excited to announce that DNA ID has been asked to participate in Podcast Row at CrimeCon 2024. This year's CrimeCon is being held over the weekend of May 31st to June 2nd in Nashville, Tennessee. I've never been to Nashville, and I'm thrilled to be headed to the Music City for this fantastic event. Last year was my first year on Podcast Row, and I can't tell you how many times my day was made by listeners stopping by to meet me and express their appreciation for the show. Sometimes podcasting can be kind of isolating, but at CrimeCon, you really feel like a part of a massive community of like-minded people. If you've never been to a CrimeCon, you really need to go to this one. If you'd like to attend, go to www.crimecon.com and register. But when you do, be sure to use the coupon code or voucher DNAID, that's all one word, DNAID, at checkout to save 10% on your badge. That's actual money. I can't wait to meet you all there and I'll once again be raffling off DNAID swag for three lucky winners. See you in Nashville. At a press conference announcing the identification of Pickaway John Doe on December 13, 2022, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost and Pickaway County Sheriff Matthew Hafey revealed that the remains found 31 years earlier were those of Robert Allen Mullins of Columbus, Ohio. Captain Strausser gave the backstory of how, for 20 years, the remains were thought to be those of a diminutive female. He detailed the years-long investigation and the various collaborations that had been undertaken in an effort to identify Pickaway John Doe. And then forensic genealogy finally provided the answers they were all seeking. A.G. Yost gave a statement. He said, quote, A cold case is not a closed case. This is a case about science advancing. In 1991, you couldn't get DNA out of bones. Then mitochondrial DNA came along and that changed. I'm proud to say that the BCI is one of the few state crime labs that is certified to do mitochondrial DNA. But even that wasn't enough. The only thing available for years was criminal databases for DNA. If your John Doe was not a criminal, DNA does you no good. Recent developments in DNA science, such as better amplification techniques, combined with commercial testing provides a link, and we finally hit pay dirt. 31 Christmases have come and gone while this family waited for answers. I was thinking about the headstone. We are all going to die, it's the one certainty in life. What a tragedy to die unknown, to not have a name to put on the memorial. Today, that circle closes and that's the first step in the rest of justice. We know from the nature of the crime scene that this may have been a homicide. Now, the detectives have the new information that's going to allow them to do what they do best, hit the streets, put the pieces together, and look at the final days of Mr. Mullen's life and find out who did this to him because that person is still out there. All the people who worked this case from the retired ones to the ones still carrying a badge, every one of them wants to take that guy off the street and hold him accountable. End quote. Again, that long statement from Attorney General Yost. Amanda Reno spoke about the forensic genealogy process and how it took nine months. She said that forensic genealogy is a powerful tool for reuniting families and opening the doors of justice. Every lead is made possible by private citizens who choose to participate in direct-to-consumer testing. She said, I encourage you to consider DNA testing yourselves and uploading to GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA to support other pending cases. Robert's nephew Christopher and his brother David were both in attendance. Captain Strausser thanked them for being there. David thanked all the investigators for bringing Robert home to his family. David was the only remaining Mullins sibling. After the press conference, he told Scioto Post that it saddened him that their late mother did not know what happened to her son before she passed, but he was happy that they could now bury his body with his mother in a final resting place. At the press conference, the authorities introduced a photo of Robert. They had learned that due to the loss of some family heirlooms in a move, the Mullins family had only one very blurry photo of Robert in their possession. The investigators were able to unearth another photo of Robert in the course of their research and worked with a professional photographer who offered her services free of charge to produce a suitable photo for the family for dissemination to the public. It is the photo linked to this episode. So who was Robert? Robert Alan Mullins was born on October 17, 1967 to mom Catherine Mildred Mullins, born in India, and Warren Fred Mullins. The two met while Warren was stationed in the U.K. during his military service. The first of the six Mullins children were born in the U.K., and then the family returned to the U.S. and settled in Columbus. Warren was in and out of the family's lives, and the children grew up largely with a single parent, Catherine. Columbus police has now located the original missing persons report 21-year-old Robert's mother filed for him. He was living at home on the northeast side of Columbus with her at the time but would often leave for a few days at a time to stay with friends or other relatives. That last time, he just never came home. The window of time during which he vanished is placed at between November 1988 and April 1989. His remains were found in November 1989, in a different county, and they were believed to be a woman's remains, so the connection was never made. The Mullins family, particularly Robert's mother Catherine, actively looked for him for years, to no avail. According to family members, Catherine was very pained by the disappearance of her son, and spent the remainder of her life desperately and fruitlessly continuing to search for him. Robert didn't have a job or a vehicle, and it was the era before cell phones were common, so tracking Robert down proved impossible. Robert stood just five foot two inches tall when he was fully grown and was, as predicted by one of the original anthropologists who analyzed his bones, about 110 pounds. His size and certain physiological features of his skeletal makeup, due to his Indian heritage, were easily confused as those of a woman. His male relatives were all on the diminutive side. His nephew Christopher recalled his uncle Robert teaching him how to defend himself in a fight, warning him that he would get picked on because he was small. But Robert ultimately lost the ultimate fight for his life, and ended up in a ditch outside Circleville. Captain Strausser tells me that he thinks it's likely that whoever killed Robert selected the dumping area at random. It was not far off Highway 56, down an isolated farm road used by tractors and farm vehicles. The body was loosely covered in dirt by whoever left him there. The puzzling aspect is, of course, the removal of the head. Since Robert's fingers were intact, this seems to have been less of a measure to prevent identification than something done out of anger or depravity. Robert's remains are still in the possession of the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office who is considering doing some additional testing on the tool marks on the spinal column to see if they can learn anything else about the implement used on his body. Once that's concluded, he will be returned to his family who wishes to give their brother and uncle a proper burial. Captain Strasser emphasizes that the investigation into Robert's homicide is open and active. Anyone who has any information, any memories of Robert, or who saw or heard anything relating to what happened to him in the late 1980s is asked to please contact Captain Jonathan Strausser at the Pickaway County Sheriff's Office at 740-474-2176. Recently, I let listeners know about a new benefit available to them called an Abjack Insider subscription that's available through Apple Podcasts. An Abjack Insider subscription will give listeners ad-free access to every bit of DNA ID content published, both past episodes and future episodes. It will also give you benefits like early access and bonus content. Head over to Apple Podcasts and click on the DNA ID show page or the Abject Entertainment channel to start a free trial. Thanks for listening to this episode of DNA ID. If you'd like to listen to the show ad-free and help support the show in the process, please head over to patreon.com dnaid DNA ID. And if you're interested in some fun DNA ID merch, visit the store at customizedgirl.com slash s slash DNA ID podcast. To contact the show, please email us at podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media at DNA ID podcast on Instagram at DNA ID podcast on Twitter or on Facebook at facebook.com slash DNA ID podcast. Finally, if you want to visit our website, go to dnaidpodcast.com. You'll be able to get all the episodes of the show, leave comments on episodes that I can respond to, and you can even leave voicemails. You'll get all the latest news about the show and important updates. Find links to our social media, merch, and a lot more. It's really your one-stop shop for everything DNA ID. DNA ID is written, researched, and hosted by me, Jessica Bettencourt. It's produced by me and Mike Morford of Abjack Entertainment. Music by Connor Betancourt. Check out our other collaborative podcasts, Scene of the Crime, Missing Persons, and Beyond Bizarre True Crime.